podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the TMBA podcast. I got Boss Man Skyping in from San Diego. Yes, sir. One of the finest North American cities. Don't tell the tax man I'm here. The whole reason I left. <laughs> Isn't it worth it, though? I mean, it's got to be, for those of you who haven't visited, San Diego is in the south part of California, right next to Mexico. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's the place that this whole thing started. It's true. And, you know, last night I was telling somebody, young entrepreneur, just starting out. The biggest financial mistake I made in my entire career so far, limited career, is incorporating a company in California. Wow. Unbelievable, this place. The state taxes are high. So in the US, you not only pay a federal tax, but you pay a state tax as well. Correct. And basically, California is like, we are the best state, so we are charging you a lot of money to be here. (laughs) (laughs) And now that I'm in Texas, I'm like, oh, Texas is pretty good, and I can visit San Diego. So... (laughs) Ian, today I wanted to talk about mindset. I honestly believe it's one of the most important things when growing a business, particularly in the early days. You know, as businesses progress past multi hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales a year, different skills sort of come into play. You know, you need marketing and HR and management and all that stuff. But in the early days, especially of building something, it's really about mindset. One of the most important concepts in terms of mindset, is a Stephen Pressfield idea called the resistance. And we talked about this a few weeks ago with Seth Godin, and he got really excited about it. Specifically, Seth found that concept critical when he was writing this book, Lynchpin, which is really about how to accelerate a career, how to get ahead in life. And for Seth and for Stephen, that's really about overcoming those things that hold your creativity back. Now, certainly there are other ways to move ahead in a career and in a business. You could you know, be a great connector or a trader. But I think for most of us, we're getting ahead by doing hard creative work that very few people are willing to do. One of the tricky things about this idea of the resistance is that it hides itself, you know? You can often think you're doing work, moving yourself forward in life, when in fact you're succumbing to the resistance and not doing the things that are actually going to move you forward. So today, I want to talk about five ways the resistance can manifest itself in your life. Now, Ian, to make this doubly relevant, we received a comment on a very old episode about a similar topic. I'm going to read it for you. Christian writes, I ran out of stuff to listen to, so I went deep into the archives and found this little nugget. And the nugget Christian's referring to is a previous episode about the resistance. I hope you guys still read the comments to those old episodes, most certainly. This topic needs to be revisited. How do you feel about it now? And what other, quote, productive activities are just signs of the resistance in disguise? And more importantly, what are your latest hacks to power through it? Well, Christian, let's take a stab at it today and see how we do. 
you know, I think sometimes the resistance can hide within the word goal. Because the problem is a lot of different things can be goals, okay? And what we want is the type of goals that move us forward in the creative projects in our lives, our businesses, and our careers. We don't want the kind of goals that say are nice to have or things that we like to envision ourselves in the future or, you know, goals on a soccer field. So let's drill down here because I, I actually see this a lot in our masterminds. So I'll give you a story of how this can manifest. Somebody's sitting at a mastermind table and they've done their homework and they sort of come to the table and they say, my goal is to double the amount of customers I have in the next six months. My goal is to double my profitability in the next six months. And it's like, all right, that's great. This person has a goal. Let's start to workshop it. And what you'll find in some cases is that when you start to workshop that goal, you'll find that the person might want to envision their profitability doubling, but they're not willing to do the types of things that it would take to get there. And I'm not talking about like moral objections. I'm talking about comfortability suggestions. Here's the thing, like goals are supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. And that's why they're valuable. Yep. So that person that's squirming at the mastermind table is losing all the value in that quote goal because they're not willing to make that goal a responsibility. There's a bunch of ways you can turn like a vision of yourself in the future into a responsibility. One is you could just get other people involved as an accountability partner or as an actual partner. You could get money involved somehow. The whole idea of the resistance and of responsibility is that you're committed to it in a real way such that you're going to have to contort and struggle and do things that are uncomfortable. Uh, that's what it takes. That's the whole idea. That's the whole fundamental thesis of Stephen Pressfield's resistance and why Seth thought it was so critical as the central concept for his book, Lynchpin, which is that this is precisely what gets people ahead. The ability to say, that's a clear goal. I'm responsible for it. I don't want to let myself and others down if I don't get there. So I'm willing to get a little uncomfortable in order to get there. I can give you an example of this, Dan, in my life where I'm meeting some resistance. I love to hear about your discomfort. So <laughs> Yeah, and it's all good discomfort, right? So a lot of listeners of the show know that I'm into cars and motorcycles. And anyways, I'm building this new race car that I hope to race this year. And I had a goal my goal, and this isn't a very good goal, so that's why I'm bringing it up. My goal was to have the car finished, and it includes a lot of fabrication and modification, et cetera, et cetera, by the beginning of June. All these things keep coming up in the way. And the problem is that the goal is really big. So what ended up happening a couple months ago was I knew this goal was coming down and starting to look at the calendar. I'm starting to think I'm not going to be able to finish in time. Meanwhile, I'm like buying tools, I'm buying things that I need to finish the project, I think, right? But nothing like specific. So I'll give you like a specific example. One of the things that needs to happen is I need to build a dashboard for the car, that thing that all the gauges go into, right? And so instead of saying Wednesday through Friday, I build the dashboard, I still have on my calendar, finish the car by June. And until I started putting things on the calendar, like Wednesday through Friday, finish the dashboard, I would just literally go out to the shop, look at it, tinker around, think about, oh gosh, I got to buy this tool because I know three months from now I'm going to have that project. I get on the internet, I buy that tool, 
um, all forms of the resistance for me. So what really changed was when I sat down and I said, okay, build the dashboard. You have three days to do it. And once I started doing that, I found myself back on track with the project. That was hopeless. You're breaking down this bigger idea. Correct. Back to my mastermind anecdote, what can happen is when people start to break down their goals and say, okay, it's going to require cold calls, it's going to require client reach out, it's going to require hiring a customer service person and investing in that, people start to back off and they start to change things. So those goals, which are worthwhile, those goals which will turn into responsibilities, have to be essential in some way. They have to withstand the scrutiny of being broken down in this way. And so if you're starting to break them down and you're saying, well, I don't want to be the person who you know, does this Wednesday through Friday or whatever, it's probably worth reevaluating your goals and finding that which is your essential responsibility. All right, Ian, let's move on to point number two. One of the ways the resistance can hide itself is when you are unwilling to invest in a creative infrastructure. After all, that's what we're talking about here is empowering your creativity. And what a lot of creative people will do is they will let life interrupt. This is what happened with this podcast a few years ago. If you go back to the archives, you'll notice that there were weeks when there was no show because doing a show is hard. What I got into the bad habit of doing was like mystifying that process of creativity and putting it all on me and you and saying, you know, if we can't do it this week, then, you know, that's just the universe and like creativity didn't hit us. And that was really the resistance. That was me not sitting down and doing the work. And one of the ways that we addressed that was we invested in a creative infrastructure and said, we are going to bring on a producer. We are going to bring on a sound engineer. We are, And this isn't a matter of like offloading creativity. This is saying, hey, if you don't do your creative work and if you don't show up every day, then there's going to be a bunch of people standing around wondering where the hell you are. And, you know, you're going to be paying for services that you don't actually use. And that's the best part. So when we made that decision, it was a risk financially, and we didn't quite know how it was going to work out for us. And what ended up happening is we had to make another uncomfortable decision for me specifically, which was to start selling advertising for the podcast. And it became a necessary part of the creative process to figure out a way to fund the responsibility we had taken on. So, because before it wasn't a responsibility. Before it was, you know, what did Dan and Ian have to talk about that week? And then when we didn't feel like it, we didn't feel like it. At some point, you got to ask yourself, like, is this real or is this just like a whim or something fun that I'm doing? And I think, you know, I found myself in those weeks that we didn't ship totally justifying it, thinking, you know, podcast is my creative expression and like I really had more important things to do because like you know we have this event going on and like the event's really important and it's like I just wasn't taking it seriously. I was more invested in like some vague vision than a real responsibility and a real goal to ship a podcast every week, which is what in my heart of hearts I knew that I wanted to be doing. And you know, making this example of like the podcast, right? So it's like real easy to have some resistance, like, oh, I got to get a microphone, $50 purchase. So I got to do this, I got to do that. I think there is a threshold though. And it happened for us when we started bringing people on to the organization where, oh no, there's like thousands of dollars now tied up every month in our infrastructure. There's people that rely on us to show up. 
There's people that expect good work because they want to be tied to good work, things like that. And so there's a difference between, I think, Dan, you know, buying little knickknacks and disturbing yourself in that way and actually putting down a fat wad of cash and getting other people involved that ties you to the project. Do you have a profitable Facebook ads campaign? What happens when you try to increase the budget? Your return on investment drops dramatically, right? That's because scaling Facebook ads is the hardest part of the game, but it's also the most profitable. Unfortunately, it's not as easy as just doubling your budget and watching your profits double. It's a lot of hard, strategic work, and frankly, it's a full-time job. Today's sponsor, Growth Ninja, is a performance-based Facebook ads agency that specializes in scaling campaigns, helping them go from $500 per day in spend to 5000 per day while maintaining and improving your ROI. If you want to scale your campaigns dramatically while keeping your return on investment consistent and growing, go check out growthninja.com today and let them know the TMBA podcast sent you. All right. Number three way that the resistance can hide itself potentially is letting day-to-day, quote, important events interrupt your routine. I think the idea that I grew up with was that creativity was about inspiration. And as I get older, I realize how dumb I was. (laughs) Creativity is best thought of as a craft. And in order to be creative, you have to create space for it and you have to sit down and you have to fight the resistance. It's still going to be difficult even if you've invested in your creative infrastructure, even if you've committed to responsibilities. It's still difficult to sit down every day and do those things that only you can do that are going to actually move your ventures forward and not just, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's. Speaking of important events, do you remember when we were in Singapore, I think I was like getting ready to head to the airport and we had some time to kill. So we're in the mall. I found a pair of shorts that like fit me. This is like Ian at 55. And I was like, I'll take five pairs, every color you got. (laughs) I mean, this is what a much older person would do. Young people, they generally look for the coolest cut. I just like doubled down on the Reebok classics. I was like, yeah, give me five. I'm going to wear them for the rest of my life. So now I'm looking down at these shorts. Actually, I'm still wearing them. And they're fairly frayed. There's holes in them. Uh-huh. And today, you know, maybe today is an excellent day to go get shorts. I mean, this is <laughs> part of my resistance, right? So I've got to do a podcast today. I've got a couple other things to do today. But hey, I really need some new shorts, right? Yeah. And I think you can like look down at your shorts and, you know, the holes have been here for six months. But for some reason, it always seems to be at least for me, when I have something really important to do that I don't want to do it, I look down at my shorts and I say, oh yeah, today's the day I should get new shorts. So what's the hack here? I think schedule your creative time and protect it. Correct. And if you're on your own, it's going to be tougher because no one's looking over your shoulder. So in the case of this Today, Ian's in a frayed pair of shorts because he has to be on this call right now. If he isn't on this call, I'm mad. Our producer's mad. Our sound engineer's schedule's thrown off. The whole thing gets into disarray. So Ian's got to have a better excuse than the shorts. The problem is if Ian's doing a solo podcast, and a lot of our creative endeavors are, how are you going to get people involved in that to keep you accountable? I think that's the interesting question. How are you going to move the difficult things to the front of your day? 
to make sure that those are the things that are getting done? Those are the interesting questions that we got to tackle. Number four way that the resistance can disguise itself in your life. It's easy to rely on superficial signs of engagement or to rely on tools instead of to be responsible yourself for the outcome. So I'll give two different examples of this. The first is that I get a surprisingly large number of emails from listeners of this show that are really frustrated with platforms like Kickstarter. So Kickstarter is essentially like you come up with a product idea, you go to Kickstarter, you put the product on there ostensibly, you put the product up there, and then you hope that the Kickstarter audience will give you money to go produce your product. That is not how successful Kickstarter campaigns work. And that's not how successful anything works. This is simply the resistance saying, oh no, I don't have to do hard creative work. I don't have to go out and get supporters, funders, champions, mavens, people that are willing to invest money, energy, and their reputations to support this product that I design. I don't have to do that anymore. I just have to go to kickstarter.com. The best example of somebody I can think of, like, and this is just a vision of somebody that I have, it's uh, whenever I'm in a conversation, somebody says, oh, I wish I was the guy that had invented X. Like, as if it was that easy to just invent X. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you've ever met guy that just invented X, it was a 20-year journey. They were knocking on doors. They were cold calling. Well, let's talk about the guys from Minal.com and their fantastic line of travel luggage, of which I have like eight pieces in my spare bedroom right now. <laughs> I have so much Manal stuff. I love it. So I remember sitting there when they launched their bag. We did it in my living room, and it was like a, a launch party. This launch was incredibly successful. There was no question in anyone's minds in that room that that bag was going to get funded. And the reason was because of their understanding of the platform, their understanding of the people behind it, their understanding of the people who were going to support their program, and the ways in which they engage those people years ahead of time. There's a quote in Rounders, the poker movie. I love this movie. And it's like, if you look around the table and you don't know who the sucker is, you're the sucker. Right. <laughs> and it's the same thing with a lot of these like powerful tools of technology. Like, If you don't know what's going to happen when you click go, it's probably not going to happen, okay? And it's the same thing when you look at things like people sharing your stuff or liking your things on Instagram or whatever. That's a totally different thing than the type of engagement you're probably actually seeking in your creative endeavors or in your business. So you can't take likes to the bank, man. That's the thing. Well, you just opened up a huge can of worms as far as I'm concerned, like this like economy and people getting off on getting likes on their Instagram, their Facebook, like whatever it might be. like It's a big, big problem. It's a huge distraction, a huge distraction. In fact, like one of the reasons why I'm hardly on any of those platforms is because I think it's poisonous in a lot of ways. Like, And I think it actually stops you from accomplishing things that are real in your life and in your business. Since we're referencing a bit of an older episode, I think these things have sort of progressed because people do spend more time on their phones and these social networks have become more pervasive in our lives and more plentiful. And the reality is, is that what people are doing when they're doing that stuff is like they're social networking. They're not like partnering. They're not 
buying. They're not attending. They're not investing, right? And so those are the engagement signals that you need to go after. That's what you're responsible for, right? You need an investor. You need a partner. You need a customer. It's the same thing that we've talked about for years, which is basically don't ask who will buy the product. Ask for money. And I think you know social media and likes and things like that are asking who would buy the product. They're not asking for money. And there's a huge difference when you're trying to get something off the ground. I have numerous examples of these sorts of things. For DC Austin, for example, an event that we're throwing in a few weeks. I don't know if this example is worth mentioning, but it's a real one that came to my mind. Like, If I were to count like the number of people that commented and liked the post versus the number of people that are coming to the event, investing over $1,000 to come to Texas, that number of people is larger than the number of people that hit like. I'm not trying to brag. I'm saying that there's a different kind of engagement. If what you want is the maximum number of people to like something, then more power to you. But I'm going to say that 90% of us, we want something bigger than that in our businesses and our creative endeavors. And so I encourage you to look past that and to ask yourself, how actually are you going to measure the sorts of engagements that you want? And what are you doing to get them? Because getting a bunch of people to like rally around a shared thing on a social media network is not the same thing as rallying people around the idea that they're going to give you money to support your project. How this all relates to the resistance is pretty simple, is that one's hard and one's easy. I think like so many times in my career, like I've looked to the internet to try and fix my problems. In fact, I remember one time when you looked to the internet to solve your problems and I thought, wow, this is BS. What did I do? You were trying to write the first book and I remember you just going on and raving about this product called Scrivener. Do you remember Scrivener? Maybe you even still use it. Oh, I loved it. I still use it, yeah. It's a great product. Okay. And so basically <laughs> what Scrivener does is it allows you to type with a black screen with no distractions so you can't see any of your other windows or social media or anything like that. But I just remember you seeing like, oh, there's this tool. It's amazing. Like I have to get it <laughs> and it's going to like boost my productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't end up finishing the book. And it wasn't because of Scrivener, certainly. It's a great example. It's almost like a different way of using a tool because I can think of so many times in my life where it reminds me of your car thing a little bit. Like when you know that you have to do something, your first instinct is to like, what do I have to buy to do this? Yeah. And the internet is full of marketers waiting to take advantage of you at every turn, just like that, right? Oh, can't get the words down on paper? Here, try this tool. Right. Oh, you can't finish this? Here's a tool for that. Oh, you need better analytics to make a better decision? Here's a tool for that, right? It's just endless, the amount of things that you can buy and the tools that you can try and justify before you actually have to sit down and do the real work. This dovetails a little bit with our fifth point, the way resistance can hide itself. And that is not doing things because they aren't great. And the reason I say it dovetails is because it goes into the marketers thing. This idea of creativity and of this fabulous life we're all living and how amazing everybody is on the internet. And we live in this world where everybody's just kicking ass. If they're not kicking ass, they're amazingly vulnerable, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or whatever. Everybody's so great. And it can easily lead to thinking that your contribution 
can't be valuable because it can't be that great. And I just want to say like, very simply, your creative work, your creative craft on a day-to-day basis. And I think about everything from me and you screwing up this episode for the last hour to Ian 10 years ago, staring at that computer screen, wondering how the hell this factory is going to put together this weird product and not really knowing. That is not going to be great. It's just not. You're going to walk away from the time that you invested in, that you put aside, that you made a responsibility, and you're going to be like, oh, shit, it's not good. That's just life. And then you're going to come back to it the next day, and it might not be as bad as you thought it was going to be. You might rework it. Something might occur to you, and you just keep going, and you keep going, you keep investing, and eventually it's something. And that's actually reality. And sometimes it just doesn't work out at all, and you got to go back and retool. All this stuff where if I'm not going to be that, then I can't do it. You know, If I'm not going to be as smart as the person who's telling me to be smart online, then I shouldn't even try. Well, that's a sign of the resistance. If you're using an unreal example to hold you back from doing something simple that you know is good, that's right in front of you. And that's where your focus should be. I'm passionate about this idea that people online are not living the lives that you think that they're living. We all do it to some degree, you know? But most people's Instagrams, most people's Facebooks are not true representations of how they're actually living their lives. And even those that are living their lives the way that you want to be living your life online probably aren't living the life that they want to live. You know, I think everybody has a little bit of this in them and, you know, some demons and whatnot. But the truth is, you have to figure out what you want for yourself. And it can't be dependent on what other people want for themselves. And that's a very hard thing to do these days because I think everything is just so transparent in terms of like people being able to take a picture when they're in San Diego. Oh, I'm at the beach. It's Thursday afternoon. And then what they didn't see and what I didn't tell you on my Instagram was for three hours before that I was working. And then the two hours after that, I was taking care of my new kid. And then the three hours after that, I was working again, right? (laughs) All you see is a snapshot of me on the beach. And it doesn't help me to get where I want to go trying to put myself in that person's position because it's a different life. And that's no excuse for you to quell your creative impulse. That's the idea. It reminds me of the Ira Glass quote that your taste far exceeds your abilities. Yeah, absolutely. That's always going to be the case. Like you can always say that songwriter's song like could have better lyrics or whatever. But the moment you sit down to write lyrics, I guarantee you they're going to be trash, right? Like you're going to have to sit down every single day, have a responsibility, invest in your creative infrastructure. You're going to have to get rid of what people on social media have to say about your craft. And you're going to have to value that ultimately what you have to say is worth saying. And frankly, is the only thing that's going to move you forward in your creative pursuit and in your business. And that's why this whole conversation is worth having because that's all you got. And then we can, again, go back to these moments. If we're not there in front of the microphone, if we're not there in front of the 3D modeler, if we're not there in front of the freaking drill press, it's not happening. That's my send off. You know, this stuff's tough. It's supposed to be, but it's worth it. It's precisely because it's difficult that it's valuable. I think it's fun too. Absolutely. It feels good. It can feel good to do something. I've been the guy who didn't write a book for like the last five years who failed. 
I am going to order a t-shirt that says published ebook author and I'm going to wear it <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Feels good, man. <laughs> and on the point of fun, if you're not having fun, I think like during the journey, like, you know, 90% of the time, then it probably isn't the right journey for you. So, you know, sitting down and like punishing yourself to like write a book because you're supposed to write a book and like not having fun doing it, maybe you're not the guy that should be writing a book. Like there has to be an element of fun during this journey because there is no end point. It's only the journey. Well, how do you differentiate the two? When I think of fun, what ruins fun is existential pain, which is when you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You don't know like why it's important to your life or to your business. That's no fun, right? So get rid of that kind of stuff. You got to sort out. That's getting back to your goals. What's your responsibility? What are you responsible for? When we talk about pain, that's what we're talking about here, right? Going through the resistance is going to be painful, but it's going to be good. It's like going to the gym. It's like riding your bike up the side of a hill. There's this short-term pain that you get to the end of the day and you come home to your family or you hang out with your friends and you're like, man, I had a good day. I didn't sit in the office and shuffle papers and wonder about sales figures and like stare at stuff online. I like sat there and I designed a new product and tomorrow I'm going to do it again. And that feels good. The resistance is strong. It's with us. It's all around us. The resistance is real. Fighting yourself, fighting the resistance, that's the biggest fight there is. Let us know what you think. Comment on this episode. We'd love to hear your ideas about the resistance and how it affects your day-to-day routine. Also, do check out Stephen Pressfield's work. We'll link it up in the show notes to this one. And as always, we will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you.